This year will be the Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. 66 to get a bigger state pension may be available to you. But perhaps the devil may be in the detail for you. Then there's auto-enrolment, whereby those without an occupational pension provided by their employer will be automatically enrolled in the new national scheme. But there is a cost to the employee, to the employer and to the state. Uh, The new scheme, therefore, is not necessarily right for everybody. And then there are those who who left employment to spend years caring for others and they may be entitled to benefit from what are called extra years to build some entitlement to a contributor state pension, which is the one that's not means tested. Uh, All potentially daunting stuff to wade through. And to help us do that, I'm joined by Paul Kenny, former pensions ombudsman and programme leader at the Retirement Planning Council. Um, Full disclosure, he's my brother. Paul, good morning and welcome. (laughs) Now, uh, let's talk about, first of all, the, the Retirement Council is 50 years old. 50 years old this year, yeah. Founded by a man called Tom O'Connor. He was a public servant, being thrown out at 65, realised that he wasn't ready to retire and then realised that there was nobody to help him. So he decided it shouldn't happen to other people. And he got support from various organisations, Irish Life, Standard Life, Institute of Public Administration and Irish Pensions Trust, where I worked, and um, founded the Retirement Planning Council of Ireland. How many people have you helped kind of to prepare for retirement and and to work out uh, life beyond? Pretty close to a quarter of a million people have taken our courses over that 50 years. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's uh, it's had its effect, certainly. Uh, there's no doubt about it. Yeah. What, so, what sort of courses do you offer? Well, we offer a two-day open course every week uh, in Dublin and around the country in various uh, venues uh, at different intervals. Uh, we do courses in-house for companies that want to run their own courses. Uh, we do uh, modules for uh, institutions that run uh, courses themselves. So tomorrow, for example, I'm with the Teachers' Union of Ireland uh, in Dublin with a lot of teachers, probably 100. Um, who, are who are facing retirement. Yes, because, uh, as you know, uh, the introduction of free secondary education in 1968 brought a lot of new teachers in yeah. and they're all getting to retirement simultaneously. At, at the same time. Yeah. Now, it's a big year for pensions, as I mentioned, because we have auto-enrolment. Now, the, the, the idea is very sound that people who don't have an occupational pension would therefore have one because of auto-enrolment. The stats are interesting. Um, you pointed out to me that, you know, the stat is 50% of people have an occupational pension, 50% do not. But again, there's a twist. Uh, Yeah, there is a twist indeed, because the 50% uh, hides the fact that uh, in the public service, we have pretty well 100% coverage. So that means that the private sector is way, way down on the 50%. I would estimate probably 30% uh, of people in the private sector would have an occupation or personal pension. So so 70% do not. Yeah. Um, and therefore, this scheme was designed to help them. Um, which sectors are most deprived in regard to pensions? Well, over the years, we've had a lot of different surveys um, dealing with this problem. And we've known about the problem for years and years and years. And traditionally, the agricultural sector and the hospitality sectors have been at least well served as far as occupational pensions and are concerned. Retail, yes, also. Not, not to the same extent, um, but... Uh, certainly uh, small retail would. Um, larger retail, I think, is pretty well catered for. OK, now, uh, therefore, there are 70% of people who are working in the private sector who might avail of this. Are they obliged to avail of this? Initially, they are. Um, for the first six months, uh, they will be compulsorily enrolled. 
Now, what's it going to cost them and what's it going to okay, cost their well, employer? Initially, it'll cost them 1.5% uh, of their gross pay and it'll cost the employer the same thing. And for every 1.5% that, uh, or for every 3% that uh, the employee pays in, the government will uh, add 1%. So it's effective uh, tax, tax relief, if you like, of uh, 25%. 25%. But you don't get tax relief on these contributions, whereas if you make a, uh, if you have a private pension or an occupational pension, you get tax relief uh, Correct. from this your comes, salary. This comes straight out of your pay and you're not getting any tax relief on the way in. What's happening is it's like the old SSIA thing where the government adds money to what you put in. Um, now, it may seem small enough, 1.5%, uh, but it will grow and grow rapidly. It will. Uh, over the next few years, it will grow because th- this is what they're aiming to do. They're aiming to get contributions up. And uh, so in year four, I think it's to increase to 3% uh, employer and employee. And then in year seven to 4.5% employer and employee and maxing out at 6% in year 10. So, so at that point, 6% from each, that's 12%, and the government throws in 25%. So effectively, there's a contribution to your pension pot of 15% of your gross salary in effect, at that yeah. point. Yeah. Now, what happens at the other end? Uh, do you get a tax-free lump sum? Yeah, the, the tax-free lump sum will be treated in the same way as they uh, do with occupational pensions. So about a quarter of your pot will come out uh, as a tax-free lump sum. And the balance then will go into one of the various options that you have at retirement uh, to buy an annuity, for example, or to go for what we call an approved retirement fund, an ARF, which is a post-retirement investment fund. Yeah. Now, the the, uh, the ARF is uh, more secure. If you go for an annuity and you die the following day, sorry, the money's gone. Well, yeah, you can get a minimum guarantee on an annuity of maybe five percent, five years. But apart from that, yes, it's going to die with you unless you opt to split your pension pot and have your spouse or other partner inherit uh, part of it. Now, you mentioned that people will be able to opt out at various stages. Having been automatically enrolled, uh, why uh, and how are they allowed to opt out? Well, what's happening is that in uh, months seven and eight uh, from the start, you'll be allowed to opt out or pause your contributions. And thereafter, over the years, every time the contribution rate increases, there will be an opt out opportunity as well if you want to pause So your- you'll be, say you, you opt out after seven or eight months uh, after the first uh, inauguration of this, uh, you'll be automatically at the next tranche, you'll be auto-enrolled again. You will. You will over the years be auto-enrolled again and you'll have to opt out again. Again so what, and again and again. Yeah, so what the government is uh, relying on is inertia, that people will be too busy or too scared or too lazy uh, to opt out and they will keep the pension pot going uh, by default. Now, people uh, famously now are moving jobs multiple times and yeah. uh, they may have an occupational pension which will be, by and large these days, portable to another occupational uh, pension scheme. That's the way it's it's done with all the tech companies, for example. But you may go in and out of occupational pensions, like some companies may offer you one, the next company may not. Yeah. What happens to... And if you're, if you're not in an occupational uh, pension, you'll automatically be enrolled again in the auto-enrollment scheme. But you can resume contributions to the fund that you're already contributing to. So that's portable to, in that sense, that if you move jobs, you can stay contributing to the fund you're already in. 
Yeah. Now, the, the, the money, where does the money go and what kind of investment is made? Uh, I, I don't know even who is doing the investing, who's minding the pension pots of the nation well, under that, this new that, scheme. That's not entirely clear as things stand at the moment. But uh, what we feel is that uh, the investment options will be offered to people and they will be able to choose between various options. But there will be an obligation on the providers to uh, afford people what they call a default investment option. So What's this, that? This is the option that you have if you don't make any decisions yourself. And a lot of people won't feel qualified to make those decisions. Because there will be certain risk elements attached to any investment and over the long period, they say, uh, pension investments, by and large, they make money and they accumulate and so on. But you can have high-risk funds, you can have medium-risk funds, you can have low-risk funds. Yeah, you can, for example, in the the outer world of investment now, uh, the companies offer investment choices and there's a, a, a risk factor attached to them between one and seven. One being totally safe, so you might as well put it in the bank yourself rather than pay someone else to do mm. it for you. Or uh, number seven is put it on number three in the 430 sort of thing. Um, and in between then there are various elements of risk. So you've got um, a distribution between what's safely invested, if you like, and what is more adventurously invested in, say, the stock markets or property. So or The default will probably allow reasonably risky stuff if you're young, uh, graduation to medium risk as you reach middle age. And then as you're close to retirement, you want to make sure your money's safe so it'll go into low risk. Is that the, is that, that the that, theory? That's the idea. of, And most default funds will behave like that. But that's not necessarily what's right for people. You know, the people will be faced with different choices. And it's very important that the information that they need is given to them uh, to to decide what they're going to do and to be clear on how they would like their retirement to look. Because some people want the refuge of an annuity. It's guaranteed for life, whatever. And other people will say, hold on a second, I've been nicely invested all over the years. I will stay nicely invested and I will draw down on my ARF as I feel I need the money. All right, uh, that that kind. We'll park that one for the moment. We're going to learn a lot more about it as uh, the deadline approaches for uh, auto enrolment, and you know, employers are squealing about how much they're extra they're going to have to pay in terms of annual leave, sick leave, and all, all the rest of it. And then auto enrolment on top of that, and uh, minimum wage, and and minimum wage, and yeah. all, all the rest. Um, but there's another change, which is that you can defer your retirement if your employer is equipped to allow you to do so. And you get a higher pension. For example, if you retire at age uh, 66, you get 277.30. Uh, if you defer it until 70, you get 339, which is a 22% hike. And it's gradated in be- graduated in between. That's right, depending on what uh, age you are when you actually yeah. do take your pension. Now, have you done the sums on which is best? Well, you see, it's not as simple as just doing the sums because uh, at the end of the day, you've got to factor in the fact that uh, social welfare pensions are taxable. So if you take your pension at 66 and you're still working, you're probably going to be paying 40% tax on the pension that you get. Yeah. Uh, so you've got to take that into account that you're only going to get 60% of what the government is giving you. On the other hand, you're not going to pay any PRSI once you're taking your state pension. If you don't take your state pension, uh, my sense is that you and your employer will continue to contribute to PRSI until you actually do take your pension. So that, for the employer, is over 11%. 
So the employer might be saying to you, I'll tell you what, take your pension, um, the 11%, uh, I'll share some of it with you. Yeah. And uh, keep going so we don't have to pay PRSI, the pair of us. And you keep working, paying your tax, and you get, uh, well, you don't get the higher pension at age 70. No, you don't. You you get the pension that you would have got uh, at age 66, whatever it is. If you take your pension at age 66, that's what you get, 277.30 at the moment. And uh, then you uh, you stop paying PRSI. But mm. the trick is that you don't pay PRSI on anything that you earn. So if you're earning uh, if you're on big books, if you're on big books, the employer and you save a, a packet yeah. on not paying pure SI. That's right. Your so employer ev- pays a token point five percent. Point five percent. So, so basically, everyone in that situation has got to do the sums for themselves. Basically, they do. to see which they way do. it works. Maybe the employer will do it for them. I suspect. Well, in many cases, <laughs> that, that might well <laughs> in order happen. to save money. And um, the, the final area of, of uh, some interest, I think, to many people is this idea of caring years. Yes. Um, that you can get uh, effective PRSI contributions for years you spent at home caring um, in addition to whatever you might have accumulated in your working life. And this will go towards building up a contributory pension, uh, which, of course, is is uh, not means tested. That's That's right. And what happens is at the moment that uh, they work out your entitlement based on the average contributions that are standing to your credit, whether they're paid contributions or credited contributions that you've got when you were out sick or whatever. Um, And they calculate the yearly average that you have. Now, that uh, system contains a couple of anomalies, like there's one glaring anomaly. If I worked in South Africa all my life and came back here at the age of 55 and started contributing, I could get an average of 48 for the 10 years I've worked and get a full state pension. And I remember Regina Doherty when she was minister saying, and that's not fair. So they're moving to a thing called the total contributions approach, whereby you get a 40th of the state pension for every 52 contributions or credits that are standing. But the old system was a bit unfair to people who took years out to care, either for children or for other people needing full time care. They only got credit if it was after April 1994. Now all bets are off under the new system there's a look back that is total. So people can get up to 20 years worth of caring credits under the new system. And that's going to be gradually introduced from 2025 over a period to 2034. But in the meantime, the department has been applying both tests to people and giving them the benefit of whichever is better better for them. Yes. So thousands of people, mainly women, have got increases, sometimes small, sometimes more significant in their pensions as a result of that look back. And now uh, some of the the questions that are coming in. um, Rich politicians who decided they get massive free pensions. Screw Joe Soap. Everyone gets paid off the back of the hard-pressed worker. How unfair is that? That's from Susan. I retired early due to illness on a public service pension for 20 years service. I had a top-up from permanent health insurance, which runs out at 60. I'm 55 now. Wondering what my options are. My department pension is very small. Yeah, well, the, the thing is, if the if the pension is very small, if you can get some A or S contributions now, that's uh, ordinary work or self-employed work, even if it's only part time, you will be able to build up credits and be able to get some form of state pension because you can actually get a proportionate state pension if part of your contributions are public service, part private. Now, if you have your own private pension, you won't be enrolled automatically. Is that the case? That's correct. Uh, What about self-employed? I'm 65. I have no pension. 
That's not quite true, but... Uh, because you, you're self-employed, you should be paying a stamp. You, you are paying a stamp. Since 1988, you've been compulsorily insured as a self-employed person. So you will get a contributory state pension, assuming, of course, that you've paid your contributions that you should have paid. Um, given uh, it dies with you, why would anyone opt for an annuity? Are there any advantages at all? It's the feeling of certainty that it's going to last your lifetime, that there's no possibility of bomb out. So, that so it doesn't matter when you die. If you last till 105... The annuity is going to continue. Yeah. Even though actuarially you should be gone by 90, that kind of thing. The exactly. annuity. Okay, that's the only advantage. And but, it, but people are living so much longer. I mean, it's, uh, in 50 years, you know, the life expectancy of a 65-year-old has increased by 50%. Um, I think a lot of people these days are looking for ethical investment for their pension. Is that possible with auto-enrolment? Yes, it is. Um, very much so. And uh, the, the, the companies offering investment uh, are, are definitely very conscious of the need uh, for ethical investment. And there's a lot of people uh, deliberately are companies opting out deliberately from things like tobacco, armaments, all that sort of thing. They've been taboo for a long time for a lot of companies. I thought paying PRSI all your working life was to fund your retirement pension. So now PRSI basically doesn't cover dental, eyes, doctor, hospital costs. Uh, and now we have to pay another levy for a pension. So at this stage, what is PRSI for? There, There is some cover for dental. Uh, there's some cover for um, uh, optical, uh, for example. I wear... Uh, very focal lenses, but they paid something like eighty nine euro the last time I. Yeah, and uh, the, indeed, uh, they advertise on this station uh, that uh, such a, a concession exists. And hearing aids, don't forget hearing aids, and they're they're more necessary than ever now. Um, I think a lot of people will have been damaged by the decibel level that they've encountered as young youngsters. Um, hopefully not listening to news talk on in-ears, <laughs> heaven no, forbid. Uh, David says, great pension slot. Should I keep my personal pension or join my employer's scheme? Oh, I think um, keep your personal pension unless, of course, that your employer is, your employer must, mustn't be paying anything now. There's no reason why you shouldn't just... Uh, uh, freeze your personal pension and join your employer's scheme if you're going to get contributions from your employer for nothing. Yeah, and of course you can always do what they call an AVC, an you additional voluntary indeed. contribution and get full tax relief. You can, yes. All right. Um, lastly, the opt-out thing, uh, Paul, the, the question of for higher earners, they might be better off staying on a private pension scheme because they get tax relief at 40%. Yeah. The effective tax subsidy is worth 25%. So if you're on a 40% marginal tax rate, you're better off making a direct contribution and getting the relief. All right. Uh, Paul Kenny, who is a Retirement Planning Council of Ireland member uh, and a programme leader in that regard, former pensions ombudsman, and also I have to full disclosure again, my brother, Paul. <laughs> thank you very much for joining. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9am on News Talk.